1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. If you have a Bible, we're going to start off in the book of James tonight, chapter 1. And uh, we're talking about faith and prayer. And we're going to begin this evening talking about how that we should have faith in our own rights. I think uh, this is part of the process of renewing our minds to the Word of God. This is part of what we're doing on Sunday morning, four things we must confess. We must confess who we are in Christ, where we are in Christ, what we possess in Christ, what we can do in Christ. And because if we don't confess these things, then we'll never walk in them. And I said last Wednesday night that our confession does not rise to the level of our faith. Our faith rises to the level of our confession. You know, on Sunday mornings, we're talking about seeds. And confession is a kind of a seed. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I do my best to not judge anything. But along the way, I've met some wonderful, wonderful people. And uh, the stuff that came out of their mouth, I'm talking about, about not enough, sickness, surgeries. Uh, you know, we, got, we do what we got to do, but that doesn't mean we need to go down the road confessing it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And uh, this thing of getting, I just read James last night, this thing of getting hold of the tongue, you know, it's, it's, James says it's set on fire by hell. And it's like a rudder on a ship. And it guides. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about a rowboat or a battleship. It's got a rudder. And in, it doesn't matter what size you're talking about. A, a, a little fishing boat or an aircraft carrier. The rudder compared to the vessel is tiny. And the tongue, compared to the rest of our body, is tiny. But it guides. It sets, the, it sets the course. It sets the direction. And I think there's just a, a lack of understanding in this area. Say it out loud. My confession, My confession doesn't lead. Doesn't lead. Let, let me back up. Say it this way. My confession, My confession doesn't, rise doesn't rise to the level of my faith. Of my faith. My faith rises to the level of my confession you see it's a seed time and harvest thing it's a sowing and a reaping thing and so the the mouth is critical now I know I know I know there's you know a lot of people don't like to hear this stuff well I just don't I just don't see that what I say about anything's got anything to do with anything well 2020 2021 should prove to us forever the power of words amen and the higher someone is in leadership, the more powerful their words are. And uh, that's why you as a mom or as a dad, you need to be careful because you're the leader in your home. And what you say about your children trumps everything anybody else is saying about your children. Amen. So Acts 17, 28 it says, for in him we live and move and have our being. So prayer is a call to fellowship with Father God and to love him as he loved us. Now, we're going to talk about the new creation. The new creation is based upon legal grounds. You've come into the Father's family because you responded to his call. You could never have gotten into the Father's family by your own efforts. You know, I'm reading through the Bible twice this year because I've got two grandchildren coming up that are more or less the same age, and I'm going to give them both a Bible for Christmas. And I'm telling you, Paul goes over this and over this and over this and over this. It's nearly in every letter. 
that you can't earn it, you can't deserve it, you can't work for it. It's the work of Jesus. So what we do is we believe it. We believe the good report. Isaiah said, who has believed our report? So we believe the good report and we confess what Jesus has done for us. We confess that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Then the Holy Spirit does his work inside of us. To enter the Father's family, you have to be born of the Holy Spirit. You have to be recreated through the agency of the word. Now, both James and Peter wrote to us about this. James 1.18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. 1 Peter 1.23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. As the decades have gone by, I've come to believe that it is totally and absolutely about the Bible. It's about the Word of God. That's all we have. Somebody might say, well, I have Jesus. Well, you wouldn't even know about Jesus if it weren't for the Bible. Somebody might say, well, I have the Holy Ghost. Well, you wouldn't even know there was a Holy Spirit if it weren't for the Bible. So it's all about the Bible. And then, then beyond that, it's about what you do with the Bible. I've, I've come to believe in my later years that James 1.22 is the most important verse in the Bible. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I might have that reference wrong. Our born-again experience making us new creations in Christ is the Father's will. We are born of his will. Say it out loud. We have been born again, been born again. Of, his will. of his will. See, it wasn't our decision, and there's nothing we could have done about it anyway. Our born-again experience making us new creations in Christ is through the Father's word, the power of his word. Our born-again experience making us new creations in Christ is by the power, or we might say by the energy of the Holy Spirit. It is by the precious Holy Spirit that eternal life has been imparted to us, and we have become new creations in Christ Jesus. These are the works of God. We can't do the work. We can, we can hear, we can believe, we can confess, and we can take action, but we can't do the work. Of his own will, he brought us forth. I got halfway into a story last Wednesday and I didn't finish it and I'm not going to finish it. It's just too much for some people. But I was in the midst of saying that I, I came to understand this in the very early 90s, that I am what God says I am. I'm not what people say about me. And, you know, I've been doing this long enough. I've got bark on me. But, I mean, I could stand out there in the fellowship atrium and hear some really ugly things. But... You know, 30 years back, I got it. I am what he says I am. Amen. I'm not what somebody else says I am. Amen. You know, we have politicians calling us deplorables. They can call us whatever they want to call us. I'm not what somebody says I am. Amen. I'm, I'm what God says I am. Amen. See, of his own will, he brought us forth. It's not of man. It's not of the will of the flesh. It is by the will of our Father. John 1, 12 and 13. John 1, 12 and 13. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God. Hallelujah. Say it out loud. I have been born of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Romans 3, 21 to 26 gives us the legal background of our redemption. Now, I know I was, I was laughing about this, you know, because I'm, I'm doing the Bible reading twice this year, and I'm telling you, man, I mean, I'm zooming through Zephaniah, and I'm zooming through Zechariah, and I'm zooming through Malachi, and I'd already read the four Gospels in that Bible and Acts. I, I hit Romans as like somebody th pulled the parking brake. I mean, I'm telling you what, man, you, you can't zoom through Romans. And then last night I read Hebrews. You know, you got to focus. You got to think. 
Even Peter, the apostle Peter said that he didn't understand some of the things Paul wrote. So if somebody who walked with Jesus three years didn't understand everything Paul wrote, that means I I better pay attention and focus while I'm reading it. Amen. So here it is, Romans 3.21. And let me say something about Paul. He, uh, there were two sides to him. He, he, would, he would tell you who he was, but then he would like demean himself. And the reason was because he called himself an apostle born out of season. And the reason was because he had been a persecutor of the church. He had, he had killed Christians. And uh, God arrested him on that road. And the reason God arrested him on that road was, frankly, among the 11, nobody among the 11 had the intellectual horsepower or the training or the background to write two-thirds of the New Testament. They didn't. But here was a man that had been trained. Here was a man that had been part of the Sanhedrin. Here was a man that, uh, I mean, he knew that Old Testament forwards and backwards. And God arrested him. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? God arrested him. So he had great power. He had power with God. And he had great revelatory gifts. But it was always in the back of his mind that he had persecuted Christ. And when you persecute God's people, you're persecuting Christ. And so when you read the letters, the Pauline epistles, there's always two sides to Paul. He knew who he was. He had done the works of an apostle, he said, with great patience among them. But on the other hand, he always had it in the back of his mind that he had been a persecutor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why I think when we get to the book of Hebrews, some of those letters, he would say, he would finish the letter and say, I, 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 I finished this letter in my own hands. See, see how my writing looks. Uh, so these were dictated. I don't remember which was which. Austin would know. I'd have to look it up. But I don't remember if it was First Peter or Second Peter. But one of them was a real bear to translate from the Greek into English in seminary because one of them Peter dictated and the other one Peter wrote in his own hand. And the grammar is atrocious. You know, you, you spend two years learning all this Greek grammar, then you try and translate Peter, and you're thinking, oh my God, my head's going to explode. So probably Hebrews was dictated. And I know that, you know, I don't have any Bible on that, but my question is, who could have wrote it? Because I just read that last night. I'm telling you, somebody with some intellectual horsepower and somebody with some, with some massive understanding of the Old Testament wrote the book of Hebrews. So I don't see who it could have been, but Paul probably dictated. And that's why stylistically it's a little different. You understand a lot of those epistles were dictated, by, dictated and written down by Luke. Paul did the dictating and the physician Luke wrote it. And you can't help but put your mark on things when you do that. Romans 3.21, But now our righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God, say it out loud, righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So this is not, this is not a righteousness by works. Let me help you with something else while I'm, <laughs> I'm doing like biblical backgrounds here while I'm working through this. When you get to James 2, the reason James is one of the most hated Bibles among certain denominational groups is because of the King James Version. When you get to James chapter 2, 
in the King James, it talks about works. And the whole heritage of Protestantism, you know, from Martin Luther forward, was that we're saved by faith. And so there's whole swaths of Christianity when they hear the word works, they just lose their minds. And uh, that's why I like the, I, that's why you've heard me say it's important for you to find uh, a modern English translation that you like that is still faithful to the text. And over the years, I started with a 78 version of the NIV. Now I use, sitting there as an 84 version. I don't have the new one. And, uh, but if you go to James 2 in the NIV, uh, J.B. Phillips is great in James 2, but it doesn't talk about works. See, in other words, it's the word works that makes people hate James 2 and the book of James. We're not talking about we're not talking, faith without deeds is dead, the NIV says. Faith without deeds. In other words, it's about taking action. And that's why here, we know what we're doing. That's why here at Faith Christian Center, we don't talk about works because you got a whole swath of Christianity that reacts to the word. We, we, we use phrases like act or take action or deeds so, or uh, corresponding action. Does that make sense? But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that we're earning our salvation. Of course, we're smarter than that. We don't believe that. But anybody who says action doesn't matter, frankly, I'd question their intelligence. I mean, like right now, because I haven't eaten all day, there's no telling what I could eat. <laughs> but see, action... So I go eat whatever I want, I get result A. If I discipline myself, then I get result B. Anybody who doesn't think action matters, frankly, probably doesn't have any brain waves. Actions matter. How about saving money? If I save money, I get result A. If I don't save money, I get result B. Are you hearing me? So it is all, it, but that doesn't mean I'm earning my salvation. We're not, we're not, don't, don't let people, see a lot of times people want to mix you up on purpose because they want to justify their own inactivity. Tell your neighbor what we do matters. But this, this righteousness is not by works. This righteousness is not by obeying the law. It is a righteousness from God, and it is a righteousness by faith. Now, I'm going to say something that you could misunderstand and run wild with and, and, and maybe wreck yourself with, but this explains why you come across some rascals in the ministry and... They're really, really, really blessed. Because with, with that, whatever faults they have going on, they believe God. I mean, I could stand here and name names. And so, let's go back to where I started. I think it's all about the Word of God. I think it's all about the Bible. I think it's all about the Word of God. And we've got entire swaths of the church, and they don't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We've got, we got whole swaths of Christianity. They don't believe in healing. We've got whole swaths of Christianity. They don't believe in the blessing of Abraham. I personally am coming to this conclusion the last five years or so, that part of the judgment seat of Christ is not just going to be what we did and not just how much money we gave, but how much we believed. Because, I mean, you know, if somebody says to me, you're lying, I'm not going to think well of them. And when we take whole sections of the Bible and we say, I don't believe that, we're calling God a liar. 
just two times last night in the Bible reading, just two times last night in Pauline letters, Paul said, God who cannot lie. He cannot lie. It's, it's him. You know, we get so used to Fauci and all of this and, you know, politicians, it's just lie, 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 lie. And we get so used to it. But God literally cannot lie. He can't lie. And so when, when I read in the Bible that there's such a thing as the baptism in the Holy Spirit, he, God can't lie. If I read in the Bible that healing is available, God can't lie. Whatever we're talking about. And, and in the King James, in the Holy Week Revival, I, I brought that verse. They heareth not. They receiveth not. It's an active unbelief at work. I've heard it all my life. 48 years now. I don't believe that. I wasn't taught that. I actually had a guy tell me once, my wife told me I don't have to tithe. I mean, I've, I've heard it, I mean, 48 years. 48 years. Is that right, 48 years? My God, how time went by. It was 40 years ago this month I met Kenneth Hagan and Ken Hagan and T.L. Osborne. 40 years ago this month. Could it possibly have been 40 years? And things are happening, and I believe it's the closing of a circle. Because Ken Hagan called me last week, and he said, I want to come speak for you. Okay. So he's coming in September. It's like, it's like things are wrapping up. But the man, the, nan, the man who's naturally minded, carnally minded, I like some King James word, receiveth not. And so you can, you can bring him something out of the word of God and they receiveth not. So we're not talking about earning it. We're not talking about deserving it. But actions matter. So this righteousness is from God. It's not like under the law where you kept the law. This is a righteousness by faith. When I was younger, you know, people would come to me and they'd say, well, I'm not into all that faith stuff. But see, I'd read the Bible. And I'd say, well, I'm sorry to hear you're not into pleasing God. Because the Bible says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder than the diligently seek him. And so... When people say, well, I'm not into all that faith stuff. I mean, and, and it's, it's the self-righteousness and, and the tone. Like they're superior. This righteousness comes from God, verse 22. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, there's no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. <laughs> this, this is a little theological. This is Romans, but we need to understand this. That phrase right there, He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So our redemption is a redemption that gives us the righteousness of God on the ground of faith in Jesus Christ. Our redemption in Christ is a redemption that gives us perfect justification freely given by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is the love of God in action. Grace is the love of God in manifestation. 
Grace is love doing all th- doing things for us. For it was love that caused the incarnation. It was all love. Love caused this incarnate one we call Jesus to go on the cross and become sin with our sin. To become absolutely identified with us not only as a man, which he did in the incarnation and in his earth walk, but he also became identified with our sin nature on the cross. For God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because there came a point where God couldn't even look at him. Because the sins of all mankind of all generations had been laid upon him. It wasn't just that the sins of all mankind of all generations had been laid upon him. He became sin. He literally became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Now I realize the problem is the mind can't take it in. What love the Father had for us What love Jesus had for us. That he took upon himself every sin, not just of my life and yours, but every human being that's ever lived. He who knew no sin. Can you imagine? The human heart can scarcely believe it. The heart can hardly take it in. We were sinners but he was made sin. See, (laughs) now I know we all have the seed of Adam in us, but that does not negate the fact that everybody here was a sinner by choice and decision. But he didn't commit any sin. And I don't care what kind of filthy movie Hollywood wants to come out with, he was sinless. He was so identified with the devil that God said he was sin. God made him to be, God made him who had no sin to be sin. It wasn't just that our sins were laid upon him. He was made to be sin. He actually went the limit for man. We live in a culture and a generation, all these little pissant, little dictators, They want to tell everybody what to do every moment of every day, and they never sacrificed a paycheck. I hope to God you burn in hell for shutting businesses down and costing people their jobs and doing all the evil you did, and you never missed a meal, let alone a paycheck. Think about it. He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. There's no faith like it on the planet. There's no faith like it on the planet. You know, somebody asked me if I'd ever seen the movie uh, the other day, and I said, yeah, but I said I hated the end of it where they put the Bible on the shelf next to the Koran. This is not like any other holy book. There's, there's, no, there's no holy book anywhere ever been written that says anything like, for God so loved the world that he gave. Amen. So it is unique. Being sin, Jesus was judged as sin. He was condemned as sin. He was sent to the place of suffering where sin should go. He went where I should go. He went to hell. He suffered where I should suffer. There's, there are two words in the Hebrew. One, it's not, the, the translations are not always accurate, but one is iniquity, a leaning toward, a bent toward. Even the FBI knows this back when they actually used to fight crime rather than fight a political group. But serial killers tend to come from certain kinds of homes, 
Wife abusers tend to come from certain backgrounds. This, is, this doesn't mean you're destined to it, but it means alcoholics tend to come from homes where there's been an abuse of alcohol such as that. It doesn't mean you're destined for it. It means that there's a leaning to, there's a, there's a bent toward. And the other is the word transgression. Speed limit's 35. You know it's 35. You're doing 85. <laughs> See, that's, that's not a leaning toward. That's not an iniquity. That's not a tendency toward. No, that's a decision. And there's not a person in the room tonight that hasn't tens of thousands of times committed transgressions against the Lord. Amen? See, so he was sent where we should have been sent. Jesus went to hell on our behalf, and there he suffered until the claims of justice against us were fully met. Then he was justified in spirit. He was made alive in spirit. He was actually made as righteous as he was before he became sin. 1 Timothy 3.16, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So he was made so righteous that he who had cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me after his resurrection entered into the presence of the Father with his own blood and sealed our redemption. In other words, from the cross to the throne, He who had no sin was made sin. He paid the penalty for our sin, but God didn't leave him there. Even David saw it coming. David said, you will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. But he went to hell. And he took away from Satan the keys of death and hell. And he preached to the spirits that were in prison. What does that mean? Before the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, there were two compartments in the bowels of the earth. There was one called paradise. There was another called hell. We know this from several places in the Word of God, but one is the story about Lazarus and the rich man. Somebody might call it a parable. It's not a parable. Jesus never used personal names in parables. And the rich man said, Father Abraham... I see Lazarus over there. Could you have him bring me some water for I am in torment in this fire. You know, the Seventh-day Adventists don't believe that hell is a place of torment. Well, they ought to read the Bible. And then after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know from Ephesians that he, and the writings of Peter, he preached to the spirits in prison and then in Ephesians, he led captivity captive. In other words, from the very beginning, from Jacob on, they knew that Shiloh was coming. And he went to the, in the bowels of the earth. He took away from Satan the keys of death and hell. Then he preached to the spirits there in paradise, said, I'm the one. Of course they believed. And he led captivity captive. And then the Bible says, hell hath enlarged itself. Because so many people were going there. There was a remodel in the bowels of the earth and paradise was taken over by hell. Then later, at least 1,007 years from now, hell itself is going to be cast into the lake of fire. It's a bigger place. Probably a sun. He was so righteous that he could sit down in the Father's presence as though he had never been made sin. Hebrews 9.12, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having, etern having obtained eternal redemption. Philippians 2.7 uses the Greek word kenosis. He, he emptied himself of his glory. John 1 in the Greek says that he tabernacled among us. The, the language in the Greek 
gives the impression that he pitched a tent and he lived among us. He was tested in all points as we are. He, he was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. He had to rest. And he lived a sinless life. God, the Son of God, God, God himself, the Son of God, the Word of God, lived a sinless life. You know, people get upset when they accuse us of this or that. Well, nobody's ever suffered like Jesus and stood there and in the presence of Herod or Pilate and your own people say, crucify him, crucify him. We're not talking about going to put it, putting you on a train and sending you to a, a gulag in Siberia to be uh, retrained. We're talking about crucifixion, the cruelest form of capital punishment ever invented by human beings. And his own people, you know, five days after Palm Sunday when they, they welcomed him, when he came through the Golden Gate and pulled palm leaves off palm trees and, and made a path for him and cheered him on, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Five days later, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Because they'd been stirred up by Fauci and Burks. It's the same thing. Scare the hell out of people, manipulate them, control them, turn them into a mob, and then you can do anything. It's the same thing. These are the works of Satan. Amen. On the ground of his finished work, when you accept it, you are made a new creation. You become, you become, you become the righteousness of God in him. So what is imperfect in him? What is sinful in him? What is unworthy in him? See, our problem is unworthiness. And frankly, a lot of it is from songs sung and environments people sit in. I'm going to tell this story in the fall power lunch early, early when uh, one of the times Lester Summerall came and spoke for us, Sue was in the kitchen after church on a Sunday night fixing snacks and I'm sitting in the living room with Lester Summerall and he had this way of looking into you. This, I mean, you just, man, you just didn't commit any sin for 12 days before <laughs> Summerall came. I mean, you know, and he, and he just had this thing where he could just look into your heart and he leaned across that coffee table and he said, you remind me of M.D. Beale. He said, I spoke for her. She spoke for me. He said, you'll never escape her. He said, she's in you. And yet people wander off from here like it's nothing. You can't find another one of these within a thousand miles. Amen. But people wander off like, you know, like they're Walmarts and there's one on every corner. No, there's not. Amen. See, everything I am, everything I have, it's because Dad Hagen said, the anointing comes by association and the anointing comes by environment. And so what kind of environment? People sit in churches and they, they sing songs about such a worm as I and and, and, and the, the phraseology in the sermons, we're all just sinners saved by grace. Sa Satan has done a number to the church. Uh, Satan has done a number on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ like Fauci has done a number on the United States of America. I mean, all it takes is words. Don't you get it? All it takes is words and, and, and exposure. So, you know, if, if anointing comes by association and anointing comes by environment, you're in an environment where they're singing these songs of unbelief and you're in an environment where the preacher is preaching unbelief. How can you believe God for anything? Our problem is a sense of unworthiness. That's it. I'm telling you. You could live a thousand more years and not get your answer like you're getting right here tonight. 
Our problem is a sense of unworthiness. And the reason is we're evaluating everything on the basis of our history and our story and, and what we've done and what we are and where we came from. And none of that matters. I love it. Man, I, I win these people. I mean, I'm telling you, you've never been in a church anywhere where, pe- where a man won r- rough-looking people like I win rough-looking people. Every time I'm out in that fellowship atrium and I see jailhouse tats, I smile. Because, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I can win them. Amen. I can win rough people. Amen. I had a man take me to Tippins once. I should, that should have been my cue. Don't go, to, go, don't go to lunch with him. And he was a CPA, and he said he was very disturbed about the direction of the church. This was back up at I-30. And I said, well, what's, your, what, what's disturbing you? And he said, well, you know, he said, we have young people. And he said, you know, we got, we got all these, you know, we got all these, you know, people showing up at church. And I said, well, be specific. What are you talking about? He said, well, you know, you're, you're doing these altar calls. And he said, you know, it's great. You know, it's great. It's great. I mean, what he was basically saying is, it's great you're winning people to the Lord, but they ought to go to church somewhere else. <laughs> he said, I don't know that I want my young people around all that. And I was younger. I don't think I would talk to somebody like this today, but I was younger. I said, well, why don't you take your lily white ass down the road? (laughs) Now, I don't think I talked to anybody like that today. But I was younger. See, this is all outward stuff. And as long as we're focused on the outward, we'll never apprehend, comprehend what God has done in us. And it's not anything on the outward side that makes us qualified to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit or healing or deliverance from drugs or whatever it is. None of that is what qualifies us. What qualifies us is what Jesus has done on the inside of us. That's what matters. That's what matters. And I, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'll tell you one thing I know. I'd rather be around people who don't look like me and are born again than to be around people who look like me and are not born again. Amen. I know that. I feel more comfortable. Amen. Because spirit calls out the spirit. See, I, I, got a, I got a recreated man on the inside of me, and then that calls out to somebody over here. They got a recreated man or woman on the inside of them. See, we're family. Amen. This, the outward stuff doesn't matter. That is simply another way for man to stir people up and control them. It doesn't have anything to do with if, if, look, if Jesus was on the planet in the last 12 months, he, he wouldn't be talking about conspiracy theories and voting machines, and he wouldn't be talking about, you know, the virus. He wouldn't be wearing uh, kitchen gloves to lay hands on the sick. He, he wouldn't be doing any of it. He'd be casting out devils. He'd be healing the sick. He'd be winning people to the Lord. That's what he'd be doing. And he wouldn't be afraid of anything. You never, you never heard him organizing a plot against Herod or you never read about him organizing a plot against Herod or any of it. Somebody might say, well, that, that stuff matters. You better believe it matters because it affects our everyday lives. But those, but long haul. Look, man's going to do what man's going to do. And you know what man's going to do? Something so wicked God has never even thought of it. Over and over and over, over and over and over. I couldn't count how many times in the prophets God talks about them killing their children. And he says, something I never commanded, nor did it enter my mind. Somebody says, well, I thought God knew everything. 
How could, how could a God who is utterly and completely and totally holy have ever envisioned that man would kill his own seed? A couple of weeks back, there was a great big turtle in the yard. You know, maybe that thick, but as big around as a soccer ball. And I mean, I, I, I'm walking and praying and I'm watching this. I mean, I got Sue and one, of the, one or two of the grandchildren to come and look at this. The effort, the meticulous effort that turtle put into making a hole, burying its eggs, covering the hole. Unbelievable. The animal kingdom. The thought would never occur to an animal to kill its own seed. And so Sue had me mark the spot with landscaping flags to keep the moors off it. And so, you know, 45, 55 days, I guess we'll have turtles. <laughs> well, now how about all these surgeries they're doing? Puberty blockers. God, God, God never saw it. He could not have imagined. And that's why the clock's running and he's going to take his family out of here. Because it's just getting filthier and filthier and filthier. I read in Hebrews 11, the Faith Hall of Fame, it says that the world was not worthy of them. The world is not worthy of the deplorables. And God's going to bring his family home. Amen. Amen. See, these are the values that should drive us. They should move us along. They should empower us, even, even on something like making a living. It's not just so I can eat more cheeseburgers. You know, it's, there's have to, there has to be an, 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 an eternal purpose behind even making money. Amen. That it's more than just another car. On the ground of his finished work, when you accept it, you're made a new creation. You become the righteousness of God in him. You stand in the Father's presence as though sin had never been. It's the most amazing thing. Now, it, the, the mind of man can scarce, can scarcely comprehend it. But it's a training process to get your mind around this and and to hear the word and to receive the word and to let it sink into your spirit, man. But once you see it, your life changes because you're not trying to earn it. You're not trying to deserve it, even healing. You're not, no, no, no. We're going to God on the basis of his word. It's his word that he hears and it's his word that he honors. It's all about the word. And literally, as long as we've confessed any sins that we have committed and asked Father God to forgive us in the name of Jesus, we walk into that throne room and he looks at us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we stand in his throne room as the righteousness of God in Christ. We've never been able to accept this, even mentally, but it is coming slowly into our collective consciousness here at Faith Christian Center as we spend time listening to and studying the Word. Romans 3.26, He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God actually becomes our righteousness the moment we accept Christ as Savior and confess Him as Lord. Now, men don't appreciate this, but the moment that a man becomes a new creation. He can stand in the presence of the Father as Jesus did in his earth walk. A new believer may only be a babe in Christ, but he has a perfect righteousness and a perfect redemption. And you need to be very careful about messing around with and judging and pushing around and bullying babes in Christ. They, they need to be left alone to grow. They need to be left alone to, 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 to mature. This is a redemption that God wrought. This righteousness is of God himself. God paid man's penalty on legal grounds and met the demands of justice absolutely. I'm going to get to a paragraph and quit. 
So we're talking this evening about having faith in your rights, having faith in what Jesus did for you, having faith in your place. It's not a problem of pity. It's not a problem of a mother's love that overlooks a son's disobedience and rebellion. See, we think of mercy that way. Uh, a, a woman who's constantly making excuses for her ne'er-do-well son. That's not what this is. That's not, this, that, that's not what this mercy is. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the supreme court of the universe dealing with our rebellion and our sin, dealing with it so effectively that it can never become an issue again. See, and this is the thing people don't understand. Why is the, why is the Antichrist called the man of lawlessness? Why did they do all this in the last 12 months? God is a law and order God. And if you're against law and order, you're not saved. Because you don't have the right spirit. God is a law and order God. And here's what people don't understand about this. And this is why, you know, before COVID, the whole grace message, you know, ran off the rails. They present it as though there's no price. But there was a horrible price. See, the way that a lot of these folks would present grace, it's just like God waves a wand and you're forgiven of every sin you ever committed from the beginning to the end, including sins that you're going to decide, transgressions you're going to decide tomorrow to commit and there's no cost to it, well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed by Hitler days before Hitler committed suicide, said that that was cheap grace. Because grace is costly. You know how, you know how grace is costly? Because he went to the electric chair instead of me. If it was today... Lethal injection, that's, that is so sissified compared to executions of the past. But he would have been crucified. He would have been hung. He would have been electrocuted. He, he, he took my place. So how dare I take the attitude that I can do this and I can do that and it's free and there's no cost to it. See, it wasn't just that God said, I forgive you, like your mama. Like your mama. You know, you can spit in her face and she'll invite you for Sunday dinner. No, that's, that's not what we're talking about. The price was paid because God is a law and order God. The price was paid. The thing is, he paid it. And that's love. For God so loved the world that he gave. He paid it. You couldn't pay it, so he paid it. And then people, you know, I think it's over, it's about Romans 8, isn't it? He, he who did all of these things for us, why would he begrudge us anything? Why would he, why would he fail to give us anything? He already gave us the, the greatest gift. He already, he already gave us the most expensive thing he could give us, so why would he have a problem helping you get a job or helping you get a house or helping? The whole thing is ludicrous. This whole anti-prosperity thing is ludicrous because he paid the greatest price that could have been paid. You see, the penalty for our sin was paid. That's where I wanted to get to to quit. The penalty for our sin was paid. It was not a pardon we experienced. I mean... This is really sad. It's really sad. It's really sad. It's really sad, man. They, they've had these people locked up from the so-called insurrection in solitary confinement. What are we, February, March, April, May? This is four months. And that goofball that got everybody all stirred up, he could have issued a pardon for all of them. Didn't do that, but get this. 
to, to bring that scenario into this example tonight, it would be God himself in solitary confinement awaiting trial and sentencing. Do you think that guy would do that? Do you think he would do that? No, he'd just stir you up and push you out in front of the bus. Just stir you up and let you go get arrested. Stir you up and let you spend months in prison in solitary confinement awaiting trial. Listen, only psychopaths make it to the highest echelons of government. There's something really, really, really wrong with somebody that can get to that height. I mean, George W. Bush wasn't out of office three hours until he came out pro-abortion. It's all a lie. To get there, to get there, they will do anything to get power over men. And Jesus never one time tried to get control of anybody. He set men free. That's a pretty rugged example I got led into there, but I'm telling you what. I mean, you know, push people out in front of the bus and then they're locked up for four months and they haven't even had a trial in solitary confinement. Just because somebody got them stirred up I wonder how come pastor doesn't go anywhere. Well, that's the answer, man. I'm not going to get I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to get myself in harm's way. So we weren't pardoned. Our sin wasn't overlooked. It was not a pardon we experienced. Someone else took our place. Someone else took the beating we deserved. Someone else hung on the cross in our place. Someone else went to the prison called hell in our place. That's love. And we should stand in awe of what God did for us through the Lord Jesus Christ and not trample the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and not, you know, go to happy hour with other Christians and carry on about grace like our conduct and our behavior doesn't matter. And we're here like the world, eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow, you know, we're going to get another bailout. No, we should live sober. And we should, we should be renewed. We should have our minds renewed in the word of God. We should live our lives with a sense of purpose. Look, I enjoy, I enjoy being blessed. I do. I like wearing nice stuff. I do. I like driving fast cars. I really do. I, I, I like nice things. I do. But that's got to all come after the tithe. That's got to all come after giving as led by the Holy Spirit. And what I've noticed is as long as I'm faithful... And with the tithe, and I give as led by the Holy Spirit, well, I end up, end up being able to enjoy all the rest anyway. Amen. But there's got to be a purpose to it. And the restraining force is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the Holy Spirit. You can't take the Holy Spirit anywhere. The Holy Spirit, David said, even if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. You can't, you can't take the Holy Spirit anywhere. So it's not the Holy Spirit that's going to be taken out of this earth to allow the Antichrist to ascend to power. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the body of Christ. And I know America has a lot of problems, but let me tell you this. There are millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of born-again Christians, and they pray. And if it's this jacked up now, what's going to happen within 48 hours after the church of the Lord Jesus Christ being taken home. Hallelujah. And so I know that we have not really been encouraging reaching out. I know that we have not really been encouraging uh, soul winning like we have in previous years. And the reason is, frankly, we don't want you to invite crazy people that are going to sick the star telegram us on star telegram on us or something you know we're, we're under the radar and we are thoroughly enjoying it 
but we need to win people to the Lord. So if they're not crazy, bring them. <laughs> and I'll win them. Amen. Amen. But, you know, some lunatic, whatever, you know, uh, there's not enough time to win everybody anyway, so <laughs> bring somebody else. Amen? And let us get about his business because the time is short. Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 817-561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.